Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. I am your co-host, Kieran Lefebvre, a blue belt under the black belt sitting across from me, Adam Childs. I thought you were going to say, do great and powerful. And I said, no, 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 don't no, do no. it, Kieran. Now that I know it's a stupid Rogan reference. I need to, I, I need like to wait. It. I need to wait. I'll, I'll, I'll do it in the future. But today, today's episode is all about position over submission. This is more a conceptual idea. So get your notepads out. This one's going to be jam-packed with lots of key takeaways and aha light bulb, light bulb moments, hopefully. But I hope so, Karen. I'm hoping I can learn a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Stay tuned for uh, class classes. Let's bow onto the mats. Class has begun. Blue belts in session. Okay, so we have a very special little segment at the start. We're going to get straight into it. Uh, last episode, we were really plugging, in the last few episodes, we've really been plugging people submitting audio questions to the show. To do that, you can do it via the, the first link in our link tree on our Instagram. So we are doing a exclusive audio-only Q&A right now, even though it's not episode 70 yet. Uh, that is a, our, our Q&A episode. And our next one is episode 70, so get your questions in. But we're going to answer two audio questions that have been submitted by some listeners. Yeah, so essentially because- if you're wondering why we're jumping that gun, it's because we're giving them like that sort of reward of, oh, yeah. they actually sent through an audio question. Thank you, thank you. You don't need to wait 10 more episodes until the next Q&A comes out. We're going to answer your question already as a way to say thanks for actually using the link tree. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, let's get into it. First question is from Aaron. Hi, Adam and Kieran. Long-time listener, long-time frustrated white belt. I've been training for about five years and seem to be riddled with injuries. This time I'm on the sideline due to a torn LCL, PLC, and a bunch of other issues with the right knee, uh, which occurred from trying to escape a De La Hiva guard incorrectly. Any tips or guidance on what I should do over the next few months before I'm back on the mats? Uh, always appreciate your perspective and really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that that uh, that knee issue can God really damn suck. Knees. Yeah, I've yeah. had like a little knee niggle. I'll say I thought it may have been something torn. I got an MRI. It was it was all good. But even even with the bruising, I was off the mats for what like a month. I think it was a while. Yeah. It was like three weeks at least. So yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel, Aaron, but I kind of kind of sympathize. Yeah, knees are definitely my problem area. I've had yeah. two two knee surgeries. Uh, people tend to always have like one sort of <laughs> one or two areas of their body that are uh, the yeah. weaker ch uh, link in the yeah, chain. For yours, it's definitely knees in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> my knees are my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, low blow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I definitely sympathize with you big time. Mm. Not only have I had two knee surgeries, I've had multiple knee injuries that have required substantial rehab. Uh, in terms of what you can do, between now and getting back on the mats, I mean, you know, I don't know where you are in the stages of your rehab. So I'm the fact that you know what the injury is tells me that you've probably had an MRI and that you've probably seen a physio. So obviously all your rehab stuff, I've said multiple times before that you need to have a physio who understands what you're trying to do in jiu-jitsu so that De La Hiva position uh I don't know exactly how it happened but you just said trying to escape De La Hiva incorrectly whether that was the you know that may have been the case but I've seen knees go just from 
being in Delaheva because the person on the bottom is actively trying to close your knee and you don't want that to happen. You're trying to open it out, right? So that's putting heaps of tension on your LCL, the, the lateral crucial ligament on there that runs down the outside of your knee. Okay, so uh, it's not unheard of to, to injure that part of your knee just being in that position, I don't mean just like statically being there. Like it's not like, well, careful if you step into someone's Delaheva guard, you'll blow out your knee. But I mean, you know, it, it can happen. So maybe you didn't do anything incorrectly. So make sure the physio that you have understands what you're trying to do so your rehab is appropriate. Moving on from that, I think what you were trying to get at with the question, because you're not coming to us for medical advice, I don't think. If you are, shame on you because yeah. we don't know anything. <laughs> if you are, Aaron, I, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, obviously, yeah, so I'm going to assume you got your rehab in your order. You're doing all your stability, your mobility stuff. You're you know, doing all your foam rolling and all that sort of good stuff. What can you be doing for your jiu-jitsu? between now and getting back on the mats. Well, uh, we did an episode a while back, episode 51, how to train when you can't train. We were more kind of addressing can't train because like lockdown and traveling and and things like that. But I'll tell you what I did coming back from my knee surgeries and that might, might help you. So firstly, I didn't have all instructionals and the, the wealth of, of information that we have nowadays. So you can obviously go that route, right? You can watch instructionals, whereas I was looking at, you know, Gracie magazines and I was, you know, God, how old do I feel now? Like looking at Gracie magazines and looking at my notes that I would take and things like that. But as soon as I had any ability to do anything close to jujitsu, I just wanted to be in the gym and on the mats. So I would go to a particular class that I was allowed to do the warm up and do the technique, but I wouldn't do any of the rolling. Right. So obviously I wasn't turning up to competition training because that's comp training. There's, you know, if you're not ready to train as a competitor, that's not the class for you to turn up to. So I was essentially, even as like a, my second knee surgery, I was a purple belt. I was turning up to like beginner classes. And when I say beginner classes, these classes were designed for people who had zero or one stripe on their white belt. Like, I mean, classes where people didn't even know how to hip escape. But, you know, so obviously for me, I wasn't, I don't want to say I wasn't learning anything, but I was still on the mats and I'm still, you know, getting some movement and I'm not just sitting on the couch doing nothing. You know, I was learning through teaching because then I would be, you know, partnered up with, a white belt who doesn't know anything. So I would be, you know, helping them do their cross collar choke or whatever. Okay. So if you have a gym that will let you essentially train while you're injured, do that, right? As soon as you're able to go to the gym and do the, do the warm up or the parts of the warm up you can, and then do the technique. If it's a technique that you can't do because of your knee, don't do that. Hopefully you've got a coach and a gym who allows you to work around your injury. Mm. That would be my advice, right? Without knowing the exact specifics of where your knee's at, assuming you've got all your rehab in order, because you should be consulting with a, with a physio and whatnot. Uh, you got your rehab in order. As soon as you can get into the gym, doing similar things to like I said, uh, and 
if you're not in the gym and there's just so much information, but try not to overwhelm yourself with information. Yeah. So don't like watch four instructional zero, watch, pick you, one or something. Yeah, you know? like pick one. And you might even actually, what you might want to do, Aaron, is already think about, you know, I don't know what, you know, if you've been training on and off for five years, I know you said you're still a frustrated white belt, but if you've been training on and off for five years, you've probably been training enough to kind of know your style or the things you like to do or don't like to do. Maybe while you're sitting there trying to watch YouTube or instructionals, think about, okay, well, what, you know, guard or passing position or whatever it is you like to do, can I do that is less demanding on my knee? So, uh, I mean, you said it was your your right knee. So let's say if you're playing guard, you could still you could still play Delaheva as the person on the bottom because it's your left leg that is the Delaheva hook, right? Mm. Or you know, so you definitely wouldn't if you're if you're someone who plays spider lasso guard and you put the lasso in with your right leg, man, you're gonna or you're not gonna want to come back from an LCL tear and be doing that because it's the external rotation in your knee and hip that puts hips a load on your LCL. So you're not gonna want to be doing that. You're gonna want to look at a guard that's a bit more forgiving. So you might start to look at half guard. This is what we did with Joey, <clears throat> you know, my my black belt who had a full ACL reconstruction. Prior to that, he was heaps of butterfly guard and X guard. And you know, that external rotation load on the hooks was a bit much coming back from that surgery. So he started working on half guard. You know, if you're passing, okay, it's your right knee. If, you, if you're like most people and you step in with your right leg to pass, you might wanna start, you know, working to pass to the other side, step in with your left leg. And, you know, so that might be a simpler transition. You're not having to relearn a whole bunch of stuff. You're just having to now try to become proficient at it on the other side. So that's something to keep into consideration when you're, when you're doing some self-study, mm. if you will. And I think, you know, that, that would be my advice, Aaron, without sitting across the table from you and getting more back and forth information, rehab's in order, right? I'm assuming it is. If it's not, get that shit in order, get a physio who knows what's up, right? Do self-study YouTube stuff that is applicable to you post uh, knee injury. So I can already tell you, don't go watching some butterfly guard, X guard instructional, because that's going to be rough, real rough on an LCL uh, recovery. And you're not going to want to do that when you get back in the gym. Uh, and then, you know, if you're already able to, and you have a gym coach who allows you to go in and, and train, just don't like, just don't do the bits of the class that you can't do. Right. Mm. Some gyms aren't going to let you do that. Right. Which boggles my mind. But anyway, right. If you're at my gym, for example, you would be able to come in and do the warm up, do the drilling. And then, you're still there for the class. Don't then think you can leave because that's really rude. You can you can stretch while everyone rolls. You can learn from watching people mm. roll. You can uh, make notes while people are rolling. You can maybe ask your coach some other questions you have while people are rolling. So still a lot to be learned from being in the gym. Yeah, I, I've done that a lot whilst being injured. And uh, one thing that I learned through doing that is don't show up to competition classes or 6.30s. Because you're you'll be there for a while. <laughs> like the the drilling and the warm up is like you know depending on the class. Sometimes it's like half an hour, and then it's an hour of rolls. So if you're sitting there for an hour, you'll get depressed real quick. So yeah, I mean, just that's do the hard. do that's the hour classes. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I it can be very it's rough. I've done it before. It's it's beneficial. It keeps you engaged with the team. You know, you can work on your notes, all that sort of stuff. You can observe, like learn from observing. But at the same time, I wouldn't so, hold it against you if you didn't want to do that. 
yeah, like when I was at the point of my recovery or rehab where I still wasn't even able to drill, mm. I often would steer pretty clear from the gym. Yeah. <clears throat> because I would just find it really hard to like I'd I'd just want to train. Yeah. It's like it's like yesterday, you know, I tweaked my neck a little bit and I didn't even go to the gym. I got someone else to teach for me because I was like, man, I'm just going to train if I go and I can't like, this is quite sore. Yeah. Uh, So I get that too. It's kind of like if you're on a diet or if you're cutting weight and you're like, I'm just going to go watch this person eat pizza. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go hang out at KFC for a while. I'm just going to go smell all this food, but not eat it. Probably don't do that. So hopefully, hopefully that helped Aaron. And uh, thanks for submitting the question. Here's the next question. Hello, Kieran and Adam. This is Frank from Greece. Uh, I really like the podcast, or I love it. I listen to it uh, quite often. And my question for today would be, was there any point in your um, white belt journey just before you got promoted to blue belt, or even before that, when you started thinking that you could get promoted to blue belts in the next promotions? Um, If yes, was what was this exactly um were you smashing the new white belts were you um holding your own against uh newer blue belts were you submitting blue belts uh, what was it exactly cheers awesome that's a, question that's a Shout good out question to frank from greece um i want to hear your uh. answer to this question first yeah, so my indication was um, a lot of subtle clues Adam was giving during podcasts. <laughs> Mine's a little bit different. Um, no, but I think as the the person in this room right now that has been promoted to Blue Belt most recently, I think I felt – I definitely, when I got promoted, I felt like I was ready for the belt. I mean, I know we've spoken a lot that sometimes people go through that period where they're like, oh, you know, am I actually, do I deserve this belt? Am I actually a purple belt, a blue belt, a whatever belt? Uh, And for me, I didn't really have that. Maybe it's my arrogance. I'm going to say probably it is, but I felt ready to be a blue belt. I felt like I was ready to compete at blue belt. And uh, I did well, my first blue belt competition. So that all, you know, all everything was- Bling, bling. Yeah, everything was reinforced in, in my own mind there, in my own confidence that, Yep, I'm a blue belt. I'm good to go. I think the, the but what made you feel like? Yeah, I think the were. the indicator was that my jujitsu got to the point where I was comfortable in all positions. I knew what I was. I knew the objective. I knew what I needed to do, and even against certain, not even just positions, but certain very specific positions, I had something to deal with it. Like I had something to deal with Spider Guide. I had something to deal with De La Hiva. I had something to deal with most of the the general jujitsu positions. So I was comfortable in in anything that someone could throw at me. I was like, okay, I'm familiar with this, if that makes sense. Yep. And then what else was my really key indicator was I started to not only be able to hold my own against blue belts, but I started to get the upper hand on a lot of the blue belts because I, I do train a lot more than than most. So that it was a, my my journey was a little bit different. But yeah, to to answer your question specifically, Frank, yeah, I started to tap a lot of blue belts. I started to you know be a tough time for some of the purple belts, um, and yeah, so that gave me a lot more confidence. I also competed a lot at white belt. The the competitions that I went in that I was like fit and, and good to go, I did pretty well. So I had that competition experience. I was able to hold my own or beat blue belts already. 
and I was comfortable in most positions. Like I, I didn't wasn't an expert, and I still am not. I'm a fucking blue belt, but I was comfortable in those positions. So that's mine. It's actually quite similar to mine. Um, I also was on a podcast back in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was very similar for me. I, you know, I competed a lot at, at my lower belts, and so I had very direct opponent comparisons. So, yeah, it was quite similar. I was by far the, you know, I don't think there was there were any white belts in the gym that I trained at at the time that could present any issues except for one dude who was like 330 pounds, uh, big guy. Jeez. <laughs> he was very heavy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I could deal with all the white belts. I would, you know, tap all the blue belts and then, yeah, it was only the – only the purple belts and up and even like one or two of the purple belts, I would give a really hard time to, or even like beat them. Yeah. You know, so it was essentially, and you know, obviously it's all relative, you know, was I at a shit gym or not? I don't know. I was a white belt. Mm. Right. Like, so I can't tell you, right. Cause my, my comparison, I was a white belt. What am I comparing it to? But then, yeah, I competed as well. I think at White Belt there was only one comp that I did that I didn't make the podium. Uh, so I was always either winning or making the podium in all my competitions. And That's so funny. I've, I've, I had one comp that I didn't make the podium at White Belt as well. Holy shit. It's just the I only like difference the, is, I'm a is fucking the only difference <laughs> is, is that I, uh, I changed gyms once I got my blue belt. So. Mm, interesting <laughs> yeah. ideas for me. It's like I'm a, uh, I'm a mini. Mini Adam, except yeah. I'm not fucking six foot ten. I'm <laughs> fucking five foot ten. And then I had um, there wasn't like a grading, but I was moving to Brazil. Like mm. I'd already said to my because this was I wasn't in Brazil at the time. I was in Canada, and I'd said to my coach that that I was moving to Brazil and that I wanted to pursue jujitsu and stuff. What was his reaction so, to that? I don't think I've ever asked you. Like a white belt, first year of training, coming up to a black belt and being like, "Hey, bro, I'm going to Brazil to." Fucking pursue jujitsu for life. See you later. I think he understood it because he was also someone who traveled to pursue jujitsu. Oh, he go. was a Canadian guy who was one of only two. His name's Shane Rice, is his name. Did quite well as well in, in competition. He used to like kind of like make the podium and stuff. And I think his biggest success was silver at nogi worlds losing to cabrinha oh wow I believe. so like he did really well you know Shit, like yeah. he was good and a black belt from hicks and gracie i believe he's like one of only two non-brazilians to be a black belt from hickson and so he would often travel down from canada down to the u.s to see hickson or down to brazil to see hickson mm. uh so i guess he understood right but yeah so he already knew i was moving and so there was that kind of like, oh, Willie, you know, that anticipation of like, Willie, give me my blue belt, like before I go. Yeah. So I kind of had that sort of inkling as well. So, but yeah, in terms of like, I definitely felt like I was, I was ready for it. Like I said, I was very similar to you. I was beating all the white belts and blue belts in the gym. I was, you know, beating some of the purple belts. I was winning or making the podium in all my competitions. Um. And then I was moving, so, you know, there was that kind of like, oh, will I get it before I move sort of thing. 
so yeah, that's that's you know I felt like I was ready and and that I deserved it and you know I'm 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 glad I got it when I did. Yeah, awesome. That's that's sick. Now I will I will ask just while we're on this topic that a lot of the time people comment on my YouTube or I see on Reddit or wherever I get my information from. You guys know by now that I just get it surfing the internet. That I I do see people say things along the lines of. You know, I'm a white belt, I'm a four stripe or three stripe or whatever, and I'm smashing all the blue belts, I'm beating all the white belts, I'm this, I'm that, like I'm fucking king shit. Why haven't I been given my blue, uh, blue belt yet? You know, they approach it in an arrogant sort of way, like I deserve it, I'm better. I, You know, the whole like, oh, I tapped a purple belt, therefore I'm a purple belt. I've, I've gotten people like that. And you can tell by the way they write their comments or the way they're talking about it is it's coming from a place of arrogance. So I will say that, you know, not all coaches are just looking at how you perform against a, per, a blue belt to give you your blue belt. Sometimes right. there's, there's so many, other, there's so factors. many other factors. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like just one from, from me, the one of mine that I mentioned is like being comfortable in different positions. Maybe you're very athletic. Maybe you're younger than most people at your gym or like you just have 10 years of like lifting experience or you just a freaking specimen, right? Maybe you played, maybe you're a division one wrestler or you're or you played A grade rugby or whatever it is, and you come in and you just click with jujitsu and you just start smashing. Like, cool. But is are you a blue belt in terms of what you're capable of, or are your athletic attributes good enough to compensate for skill? Well, yeah, like, you know, it's the the coach is going to be looking at multiple factors. Let's say, for example, you're currently a blue belt. Uh you know, got your blue belt in November, was it? November 20. Right. He's got it tattooed on him, November right. 20. <laughs> so you got your blue belt, you know, the end of 2021, right? Uh, so let's just say you're a new, a freshish blue belt and you're tapping this four-stripe purple belt in the gym who trains once a month, mm. right? So I'm not – so I've got a mid-20-year-old blue belt who wants to be a competitor – and let's say a mid 40 year old purple belt who trains once a month for a hobby. I don't look at that and go, oh, Kieran's tapping this purple belt who's like four stripes and almost going to get his brown. So therefore, I should just give Kieran a brown belt. Like, no, like those two things don't compare. Mm. It's kind of last episode we talked about, am, am I too old to train? It's kind of like that as well. You know, I'm not going to, you know, if you tap a 65 year old black belt, that doesn't mean you're a black belt, nor should that black belt care if they get tapped by a 20-year-old blue belt who's, mm. you know, like you can't compare those two things. Sometimes so you're going to catch someone as well. Yeah. Like, fuck, if you know enough jujitsu, you should be able to, you know, once in a blue moon, catch a upper belt if they're being careless or they they let you play too much and yeah. punish them for it. So um, You should be able to do that. So, yeah, like, I mean, shouldn't shouldn't be – like, I don't think I came from a place of arrogance when I had those thoughts. I just kind of, like, looked around and I was mm. like, oh, well – you know, I'm kind of like beating everyone and, you know, that's reinforced by my performance in competitions. That's and, the key, yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah, so I felt like it was probably probably time. Awesome. Well, there you go. Thank you so much to Frank and Aaron. How much better are the audio questions? So much better. So much better hearing your beautiful voices instead of listening to mine. I know, it's so nice to to not have to read out the questions in well, our Ad, annoying voice. Adam, you can't even read, so <laughs> I have to read. Hey, 2022 goals, Kieran, all right? Learn how to read. By the time this goes out, maybe I've learned my ABCDs. Maybe. Next time when you sing with me. <laughs> it's so funny. Definitely Ad, not. 
Atlas knows his ABCDs. People, if you don't know, Atlas, my son, two years old, more or less knows his ABCDs, right? So he sings the whole song. He gets to the end. Next time, won't you sing with me? And then you go to sing it with him. And he's like, no, 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 just Atlas. And you're like, <laughs> but you just asked me to sing it with you. <laughs> Did you know that they've changed the that song? They've changed the ABCD song. They've mm-hmm. like changed the tune to make it. What? Yeah, they've changed. Since when? So it's still like the twinkle, twinkle, little star sort of Well, because that's what I was about to say. It's the yeah. same melody as but twinkle, twinkle. They've, they've modified it. So I, it's not the exact melody anymore. They've modified it. Um, still the same rhythm, but they modified it to make it easier for kids to sing. So it's broken up. Like uh, my my girlfriend works in childcare, and she was singing it the other day. Like, you know, telling me about it. I was like, no, nah, that's that's an abomination. That's that's should Can be you, illegal. Do you know how it goes? No, no, oh. I, I can't remember. I only know the 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 true, the original, the original, the the real ABCD song. But I don't know this this new fandangled bloody whatever they're pushing on kids. Can't these days. change ABC. Come yeah, well they have. Anyway, for those that clicked on this episode expecting to hear about position versus submission, thank you for sticking out 25 minutes in. I know you would have gotten a lot out of those questions anyway. Yeah, I thought they were good questions. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. And here we go. Position versus submission. What do you think about that one? I'm going to say- I'm not a fan. (laughs) Yeah, that I'm not a fan. Yeah. Uh, I think that that statement- Definitely kind of, I mean, I, if, it, if it comes from a good place with good intentions behind it, it makes sense, right? And, you know, uh, I'm not going to jump off mount to try to footlock someone, something like that, right? Yeah. Or maybe, no, you know, yeah. or, or I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to be on mount on the bottom and try to armbar you, right? Like, you know, uh, <laughs> Kieran's, Kieran's trying to work. That. Kieran's, Kieran's sitting Hang there and his minute. face is like, there's an armbar from mount <laughs> bottom, <laughs> right? So if it's I, – so I understand like that. I mean, but I feel like that's kind of taking it to the extreme. Mm. I think a lot of instructors push it a little further to say – you know, you always want to consolidate the position and then submission and whatever. And there's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't want to say I disagree with that. However, if you, if you kind of have this inherent like uh, submission hunting style, like that's built into your jujitsu DNA, I think long term that's just going to pay off so much so much better right it's you know the the classic oh the best defense is a good offense or whatever right if you look at some of the most successful fighters man they relentlessly hunt submissions Gordon Ryan Gordon Ryan Craig Jones probably like one of the the more current not more like it's not like they're not current but like the newest guy in the limelight, Mika Galval, mm. dude, hits submissions from everywhere. Like, Relentless. Dude, from like the craziest positions. And I don't mean as in he gets mounted and he's on the bottom and he armbars people. Like, no, I'm not talking about stuff like that. But just, man, like those positions that he hits submissions from, or not even the positions, the transitions he hits submissions from, it's it's mind-boggling. It's so amazing, right? Yeah, he's and, got really beautiful jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's really and, awesome to watch. And 
it's kind of like that only comes from years of like prioritizing the submission, right? And and it's kind of I believe if you just continue to perpetually attack and hunt submissions just nonstop. It just opens up so many other things and you can always fall back to consolidating a position, right? I mean, I think that's good advice to give beginners for sure uh, because beginners will do something stupid like jump on some flying footlock triangle platter something and break their neck right so i think it's good it's good advice to give to beginners because beginners often don't even understand the positions yet right but i think if you can build into your jujitsu you know years of hunting submissions and even okay so uh cron gracie is a good example right hickson's son just was so entertaining to watch because he just always went after submissions even hodger gracie who you could say uh is you know has I don't want to say boring jujitsu because it's it's not it's not boring it's methodical but, yeah yeah it's super methodical and step by step like even even he didn't really care so much about the position like he would say that he he said that what he found really hard about transitioning from jujitsu to MMA was that in jujitsu like he could be. 10 points behind it didn't matter because then like once he tapped the dude like the fight's over and you win mm. but that sort of you know if you were in a position in mma that hypothetically left you 10 points down you've You're probably been <laughs> you've yeah. probably been punched and kicked in the head a few yeah. times right so yeah. you can't take that same approach in 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 a striking martial art so i honestly believe that if you can permanently look for the submission and have that built into your DNA, I think long-term it's better to breed that style and then later on teach the importance of not throwing away good positions than the other way around. Yeah. And I think in my mind lately, this is like a revelation I've been going through pretty much right now. uh, The last like few weeks really since my last comp is that in in my mind, when I when I thought of p- position over submission, I was thinking of a different concept, right? So l- let me break it down a little bit. In my last comp, I was rushing from position to position, hunting for submissions, but I was doing it, you know, very very quickly, very like basically, I was rushing. And I think that what the position over submission, what you're saying, is to not disregard it, but to say, hey, look, submissions. Are very, very important. And you should be hunting those um, a lot of the time, not over position, but as well as position, I was taking it too far the other way. And I was like rushing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think I need, I need to separate the whole like hunt for submissions uh, and the, the position versus submission thing with rushing. Cause I've, I've been, in, you know, in, in the comps, I, I, I was in good positions. I was up on points and I was rushing around and then I ended up giving up my position to hunt for submissions, but it's different. You're not saying to rush, you're saying to, to yeah. hunt. And and I think if you if you build into yourself this thought of oh position over submission, it kind of by default leads you to think that submissions only come from somewhere where you have positional dominance. And that's just not true. Right? There are so many submissions that come from a transitional position, 
right? So even, I'll give you a simple one. Let's say you have full mount on someone and you've got this belief of position over submission as in I need to control mount and from mount work my submission, which is perfectly fine. Even people like Mika Galval and Craig Jones and Gordon Ryan can do that, right? I'm not saying that's not, not a thing. But what I mean is if you have this built in, like it's position over submission, what if like you full mount on someone and they kind of bridge and roll mm-hmm. and you just go, no, 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 don't lose mount. Don't lose the position. Right. But when reversed. people bridge and roll, mm. well, yeah, but even not that, right? Like, yeah, you could stay mount, mm. but people bridge and roll and sometimes expose their arm and you can switch to a belly down arm bar, right? Like that's a transitional submission. Like you, you can't really force someone to bridge and roll if they don't want to, right? But they've chosen to to bridge and roll and expose their arm, and you have you can like that's a, you know, you could put it into a category of let's say like opportunistic submissions or transitional submissions. Like you're taking it; it's only there in the moment, right? Be similar to someone who gets hit with a blast double but manages to get the guillotine right no one goes okay i'm gonna let this dude blast double me and guillotine him no but you see people get blast doubled and jump on the guillotine at the same time right like that's a transitional opportunistic you know if you had this built in its position over submission that you'd kind of be you'd have this belief of no no no, don't go for the guillotine sprawl 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 right because you don't lose position Mm. well no like sometimes that's not that's not how it is, right? You can go for the the submission over the position, because at the end of the day, if the submission pays off, it doesn't matter. I think that's the problem with any like dogmatic approach to anything, really. But in jujitsu specifically, because if you if you have like a mantra like this, then you're going to close the door on other opportunities. Like if you're like like you said, if you're like no position needs to come first. Like I must get a position. Don't even think about a submission until I'm in mount, until I have the back, until, you know, insert whatever position here, side control. Then you are going to miss those transitions. You are going to miss opportunities to buggy choke some motherfucker. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. Uh, you know, I feel, so it's a bit hard, you know, to, to address that one statement because mm. let's say that was, I don't know, let's say there was some jujitsu clothing, you know, and you know how different clothing, jujitsu clothing, it'll have different stuff like, you know. Is this just... an analogy? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going, I'm not about to give an analogy. Oh, okay. Never done such things, Karen. <laughs> how dare you, right? Uh, you know, it might just say, I don't know, whatever, jujitsu, I've seen jujitsu t-shirts that just list a bunch of different guards, X guards, spider guards, it's just like whatever, a piece, piece of clothing. Yeah. If I saw a jujitsu shirt that said like position over submission, Right? Like it's the statement itself needs so many asterisks, you know, because the statement alone, position over submission, like it's fine and sound advice, you know, but there's so many but and but this and but that and but, you know, whereas I feel if it was plastered on a T-shirt, it's kind of like saying this is our mantra, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, it needs a. It's almost like the opposite of, you know, Storm, the brand Storm. Yeah. Not as prevalent as they used to be in, in the jiu-jitsu gi apparel industry, but their sort of slogan is mission submission. And it's like, I mean, that's very accurate, right? Mm. Because the overall goal is to submit your opponent. No no one goes into a match at a professional level and goes goes like the goal is to win by referee decision. 
Although no one goes, I want to win on points. Mm. The goal is to submit your opponent, right? Like that. So, mm. you know, and a lot of those submissions come about in transitions. Now, another caveat on the other side. One thing that I personally, please correct me if I'm wrong here. One thing I don't like seeing, and because I used to do it myself, and I think it's a, it's a bad habit. Say, for example, if you're on top and you're looking to pass someone's open guard. Sitting in, back on the legs. Sitting back on the legs. I, I think the, it's the, funny you ask the, that risk, the risk is too high in a comp- competitive scenario. You're pretty much giving up a sweep if you don't get this up. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's funny you ask that because I had this conversation only this morning with someone else. Uh, Was it with Toby? <laughs> no, no, fuck that guy. No, nah, <laughs> no, nah, Toby's a legend. Uh, yeah. I think the only way to answer that is it depends on the rule set, right? Uh, you know, standard rules would, yeah, it's going to be you're going to concede a sweep if they come on top and you don't get the submission. You essentially just gave away two points. Um, however, maybe you're in a submission only rule set, so who cares? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in a rule set where it would be a sweep, but you're down on points and there's 30 seconds left mm-hmm. and you've made that call that, well, I haven't been able to pass his guard in nine and a half minutes, so I'm going to try something else for the last 30 seconds. Or if you have heel hooks available to you, exactly. that could be yeah, a good opportunity. So, so if you're talking about the no-gear game as well, mm. you see a lot of people ignore the the point system because they're just so good at the leg game and 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 they sit back mm. on the legs, right? Like I'm more you, talking about like white and blue belts who sit back on the straight footlock when they're they're in a guard passing situation. Yeah, look, I don't, I'm not against it because I, I like people hunting the submission. Mm. The what I don't like is essentially seeing someone, <laughs> you know, maybe they had the best intentions to sit back on the straight foot lock, but they didn't. What they really did was they pulled X guard <laughs> from being on top. You know, like I mean, if you if you go for it, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent against it. Right. But as long as you understand the rules mm. that you're, you're fighting under, you know, yeah, um, if you're even on points and there's like a minute left, you probably don't want to sit to. Yeah. It might not be, you know, you've, I mean, you've just got to make that call. Right. Mm. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a hundred percent against it. That's fair enough. I've done it to you once. There's no, did I tap? There's no way. No, you didn't tap. No, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, yeah. That, did I? Yeah, that was the one time, but you let me. Oh, you, okay. you, we were fucking around and you, it was one of those, I think we've spoken about this before. It was the only time I've ever like tapped you, but it wasn't because you let me sit back on it and you're like, yeah, fuck, see what happened. See see this oh, kid. Yeah, and then right. we rolled and-, and Oh, I yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I remember. That it wasn't was, that long ago. That was me sitting back from a passing opportunity. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I just grabbed it and I'm like, oh, fuck, see what happens. Yeah. Um, but I mean- Because sometimes I'll do that, right? Like not taking- You let me not, adjust t- it. Not taking like, away from from what you did. Yeah. But if I'm rolling with like, you know, my lower belt students, mm. obviously if I went into, not obviously, like I don't want to sound like a dick, but like if I went into every role, like it's a comp role, like I would like to think if if it's one of my blue belt students- You're going to win. I'm going to win and just put smash on and whatever. So I don't do that every role. I do sometimes. But I'll often let my lower belt students get to a certain position because then I want to see where they're at in that position. Like if I want to gauge your your ability to finish a straight footlock, there's no better way than me letting you get me in a straight footlock. Mm. 
And then, and you, you know, and the key, and the- then me, you know, so I'll do it with, yeah. Like, okay. You just mentioned Toby, like, uh, you know, I might let myself get a little bit lazy and fall into his triangle and, you know, okay, where's he at with his ability to finish a triangle? Oh shit. I actually had to defend, you know, 99% to my ability to get out or like, Oh man, I had to use a hundred percent and he still got me mm. like, okay, his triangles are coming along really nice. Mm, exactly. Know? I think the key, in that specific situation that I was describing is you let me adjust it a little bit. Like I sat back and you're like, Oh yeah, you sort of sat there with your leg dangling, just sort of looking at me and I'm like, okay. So I adjusted it. Yeah. And that, that was the case. As, as you should as yeah. well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but going back to, to position over submission. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to answer it without saying, but, and what mm. if, and this, yeah, if we, if we, if we, take it back to kind of the old school, like 20 years ago when people said position over submission or not even less, 10 years ago, it was really just, you know, like you want to consolidate every position and it's not possible to get a submission without having control of the position first, right? And that that is, I mean, I don't want to say that's true, but that's also a thing, you know? Uh, Gordon Ryan versus Roberto Jimenez where before the fight he said, oh, I'm going to, happened with an armbar from Mount. Like he had an incredible amount of control of the position so he could kind of do whatever he wanted. So that has weight as well, right? But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's like, you know, depends on the uh, – I guess what I'm trying to say is you just can't forget about transitional or opportunistic submissions. Yeah. If I want to get a rear naked choke from the back, I need to be able to control the position to get that submission, right? But at the same time, I might rear naked choke you from just like a very opportunistic, there was a moment and there was a scramble and, I and whatever. And I, yeah, and yep. you just pounce on it, yep. right? So it doesn't always have to be, oh, I need to very methodically and in a controlled manner, take his back, get my seatbelt, put my hooks in, and now I can rear naked choke him. Mm. Man, there might just be this split second where you where go you, and you get the neck first and yeah, then you put the hooks right? in. So yeah, right? So I guess, you know, Position and submission can live in harmony. And I think even even side by side, walking off into the sunset. Little kiss. <laughs> <laughs> That's twice you've now reminded me of this little kiss story. Last episode, this episode. Now I'm gonna tell it. Okay, so all right. So two students, well, Jake actually actually doesn't Wait, even where train is this anymore. Going? <laughs> but two two of my first students, Dan and Jake. Jake's now old, fat, and retired. He's coming in tonight though, didn't he say? Yeah, no, nah, but I already messaged him yesterday. And Jake is someone who has had a few months off. And anyway, he said he was going to come back today. I messaged him yesterday being like, so Jake, you, which he class called, are you doing? The lunch? Or, or, and Jake never just says no. He says, oh, I might struggle to get there. That's He's not coming. <laughs> anyway, so Dan and Jake used to have this thing. I don't know why, but they would say like, uh, they would be like, kish, to say kiss. They yeah, would be okay. like, oh, give me a little kish, like that. And then this, we have a French girl in, in the gym, Virginie, and she thought, because the way they were saying kiss, they were saying kish is like how you would say quiche in French, right. like, the, like the egg tart thing, yeah. a quiche. And it went a step further because apparently in French, or I guess at least in her social circle or whatever in France, that if you call someone a quiche, like in French, if you call them a quiche, it's like calling someone stupid. Right. right. So they, so like just 
coincidentally turned out their dumb little joke of saying, give me a little kiss, but they would say like, give me a little kish. Virginie thought they were like calling each other stupid. Because right. like, that's the story. <laughs> so it's like not a great story. I never... <laughs> Turn that button off. <laughs> I never said it was a great story, but last episode you said something that reminded me of it. Sometimes. And then this episode again. Sometimes we need to keep our stories to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back on your uh, Gordon Ryan piece, uh, and you're basically saying like he's an example of someone that, you know, hunts sub- can do both, right? He can hunt submissions and dominate the position. Well, as I would well. say the. the you know those you one, the, yeah, yeah, those one percenters, the the best guys mm. in the world, can do it. I do remember do hearing. Um, I don't know if it's directly from Danaher or about Danaher. I know that when the DD when DDS was a huge thing, the Danaher Death Squad, they were like in their prime. That was something John Danaher was really challenging. Is that 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 concept of position over submission? I know that he was someone. Who, who was really putting that into question and saying, nah, man, like submissions, let's go. Like, oh, was he? And yeah, yeah. And his whole he philosophy. He probably got it from me. Probably, yeah. I think he uh, he might have referenced <laughs> you as well. Like I learned this from the great and powerful Adam Charles. I learned it from that dickhead that no one knows about. Yeah, that, <laughs> who, that guy? No, 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 the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's something that he, he has been – you know, pretty well known for is to challenge that. And I think it's very much in his whole guard game. And you'll see that the DDS, those guys that popularized, you know, leg attacks from guard, you know, whereas he, he basically, I think he was saying it in one of his like, you know, beginner new wave fucking instructionals that I, I, I watched. It was basically that traditional jujitsu says that guard is a defensive position. When you're in guard, you want to advance your position to then submit. So you want to get out of your guard, you want to get on top, and then you can submit. Whereas Danaher is like, nah, man, you use that guard to attack. You want to be offensive. So it's not yeah, I position over submission. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with him, but I don't, I don't know. Even when I first started jiu-jitsu, that wasn't the – Okay, maybe he's, maybe he's talking out of his ass. No, well, I guess he's probably <laughs> saying like, you know – Back in the eighties, when I started this mm. conversation, <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. I started talking, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Even when I started, guard was still like an offensive position. Mm. Maybe yeah, I'm I guess, I guess too, like too generally, you know. Well, you know, you don't have to go back too far. Where half guard, for example, was solely a position not to get past. Half yeah. guard was just like You're shit. Telling me about that. Don't let them get to side control. And then Gordo became really famous for half guard. Obviously yeah. then Bernardo with deep half guard. Like, you know, now we've got Z guard. Like half guard is an incredibly offensive position. So I get what he's saying. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like it's a revelation that's happened in the last decade. Yeah. Like, oh, you can attack from guard. Like, I mean, that's been the case for as long as I've started. I've been training, which is not that long, right, in the grand scheme of things. But anyway. Yeah. Just trying to. Trying to just say it how it is. Well, yeah, that that was my that was my two cents on the whole whole conversation position. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll wrap it up there. But I I would have liked to talk a bit more about position versus submission. So perhaps we can revisit it at another episode. Uh, but I did also enjoy doing those audio questions for the first time. That obviously took up the first chunk of the episode. Mm. So we can you know talk about this. In, in passing at another time. But yeah, uh, you know, they, they can be in harmony. 
sub- submission over over position. I think it's mm. sound advice for for very beginners, you know, because like I said, beginners we take for granted the shit that we know. A beginner doesn't even know what side control is, or mount, or back control, or half guard. You know, so obviously you need to teach a bunch of these positions before people can do submissions safely, mm. for, safe for themselves and for their partner. Absolutely, but you know, at a more at a more advanced level. I'm going to say, yeah, submissions all the way, baby. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Wait, isn't that a button? Love it. Yeah. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following us on Instagram, leaving us a review on your streaming platform of choice, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, give us five stars, all that sort of stuff. If you want to leave us a negative review though, please feel free, at least make it funny. That's the rule. <laughs> if you're going to leave us a shit review, make, make it funny. And uh, if you're leaving a shit review after listening to 48 minutes of episode 62, then Wow. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough, bro. (laughs) And if, uh, yeah, guys, don't forget episode 70 will be the next Q and a ask a black belt, send in the audio questions. questions It is in the Instagram bio. I think it was a way better way for us to deliver the questions. Thank Uh, you to Aaron and Frank for being the first ones to submit audio questions. Thanks so much guys. Uh, until next time, just tape it. 